Okay, welcome back. Happy holidays. Happy New Year's. Greetings from Mexico. I am uh, recording this Saturday afternoon. I want to get it out on Sunday morning early because I am traveling on Sunday. Um, It's awesome to be back. I feel completely recharged. I'm ready for golf. I actually really enjoyed the break. If we went any longer, I probably would have started to miss it, but I felt like for me personally, it was a perfect amount of time off, just enough to recharge and get fired up again. So before we dig into the Tournament of Champions, I want to welcome anyone who's new. Uh, It's a new season. I don't know how you would have found this because I don't spend a lot of time promoting it, um, even though I should. There's changes coming with that in the new year. Um, But if you're here for the first time and you want to get more serious about golf betting, um, welcome. What I do here is sometimes rant about random stuff, but for the most part, every week, um, not next week because I've got a golf trip, but normally every week, I will break down the course of this week's PGA Tour tournament to the best of my abilities, talk about the players that I think will play well here, and the purpose of this podcast is so you can get a head start on your research. I do my best to get it out on Sunday afternoon, sometimes Sunday evenings, and I will share absolutely everything that I think will help you hopefully get a deeper understanding of the tournament, um, the players that rated out well for me, the players that I'm already considering. So when odds come out on Monday, you're already ready to go and you're able to almost let the market help you make decisions because you already have your idea of how things might play out and who you might be targeting. And then as soon as the odds come out, a lot of your work is already done. So that's the main point of this Sunday show. I also do a Tuesday show every week with a guest. Um, At this point, it's just a rather large rotating group of my friends, uh, but they are all very smart people that either work in golf or at the very least take betting golf seriously. Um, That show is usually a little less data intensive and a little more conversational where I can kind of bounce some of my thoughts off of another smart person and have a dialogue and argue. Um, So that will come out every Tuesday, but I think that's pretty much all that I have at the top before we dig into the tournament of champions. Oh, one last thing. I did a three-part majors preview podcast, pretty much a two-parter, because the first podcast was just about Tiger Woods, but that's a great listen, too, from what I've heard. People really love that one. Um, But if you haven't checked out my majors preview, I really encourage you to do that. I put a lot of time into that one. I think it's really good. There seems to be a giant appetite, especially around this time of year, for betting into the futures market. Um, but no one is actually really having a conversation about the actual courses before they do that because they change every year. And this year specifically, I cannot tell you how different of a test that Brookline is from Torrey Pines, that Southern Hills is from Kiowa, that St. Andrews is from Royal St. George's. So that's why I wanted to do the podcast so people um, didn't just feel like they were shooting from the hip with all these futures. The U.S., open venue this year is really quirky. It's not like anything we've seen at least the past couple of years. So definitely if you're still looking around this time of year at the futures market, check out those podcasts. I dive into the courses and I do my best to explain the types of players that I think make the most sense there. 
Both those shows you can find on the Inside Golf podcast feed. They're actually right under this one. Okay, so without further ado, let's dive into the Century Tournament of Champions. This is the first tournament of the year. Um, Obviously, it's played in Hawaii on the island of Maui. It's a tournament that has been around for a while, and the field is generally, although they've made some exceptions recently, limited to only the players that won on the PGA Tour last season. Of course, you'll notice Xander is in the field. He won the Olympics, not an official tour event, but they let him in anyway. But other than that, the field is comprised of all the players that won on the PGA Tour last year. So it's a small field, only 40 guys, and you're pretty much getting most of the elites. Um, At the time of recording, I'm not sure whether or not Rory McIlroy is playing. My guess is that he is not because he never plays this tournament, and he said on a podcast that he's starting his season in Abu Dhabi. But other than him and DJ, um, who didn't win last year, it's pretty much all the elite guys. So Harris English won last year at 25 under in a playoff over Joaquin Neiman. Prior to that, Justin Thomas won at 14 under, also in a playoff over Patrick Reed and Xander Shoffley. That year it was a lot windier. Um, 2019, Xander won at 23 under over Gary Woodland um, at 22 under. That one tugs at my heartstrings. 2018, Dustin Johnson. 2017, Justin Thomas. 2016, Jordan Spieth. 2015, Patrick Reed. 2014, Zach Johnson. 2013, Dustin Johnson. 2012, Steve Stricker. So as you can tell, pretty eclectic group of players. Uh, Guys like Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth, Steve Stricker, Zach Johnson have all played really well here. But guys like Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, who are much uh, longer players off the tee, have also played really well. I think when I break down the course, a lot of things that I will say will probably lead you down the path of bombers that are able to just wail away off the tee because these fairways are absolutely massive. And while some of that is true, um, you do not have to hit it a mile to play well here. In fact, Core and Crenshaw, the designers of the course, they tend to be a lot more about angles. And it's a very easy course as well if the wind is not blowing. So you can also just win here by making a million putts, just like Jordan Spieth did in 2016 when he shot 30 under. Okay, so let's dig into the course. The plantation course at Kapalua. It's a par 73. It measures 7,596 yards. It's the only par 73 that we see all year on the PGA Tour. It was uh, designed by Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw in 1991. Um, they did a little bit of a renovation in 2019. Love Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw. Um, probably in my top three favorite working architects along with probably Doak and David McClay Kidd. But unfortunately, we don't get to see a lot of Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw designs on the PGA Tour too often because, you know, God forbid we have these guys tackle interesting architecture. Why would you do that when you can just go to another Fazio course or a TPC course? Um, but Kapalua isn't one of Core and Crenshaw's best designs, in my opinion. Um, but what Core and Crenshaw love and they do really well here is wide open fairways that give you a lot of options in terms of what angle you want to take to the green. 
And that is the case with the plantation course. These fairways are 59 yards wide on average. They are the widest fairways on tour for context. They're about three times as wide as Harbortown. Um, so driving accuracy here is 75% compared to the tour average of 62%, which is a massive jump. And driving distance here is also 289 yards compared to 282 yards. It doesn't sound like a big jump. That's also a pretty sizable difference, which means that players are hitting a lot of drivers here, um, which makes sense, obviously, because the fairways are so wide. So first thing off the bat with Kapalua, you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want here off the tee. It doesn't really play firm and fast enough where positioning matters a ton. Again, of course, there are better sides of the fairways to be on, but if you miss here, uh, unless it's a really big miss, chances are you're still going to be in the fairway and your angle to the pin may be more awkward. But if you let a PGA Tour Pro hit an iron shot from the short grass, good chance they're going to be okay. So you don't really get the full effect of that you know, that an amateur would because these guys are just too good. So this is not really a week, in my opinion, where you want to be looking at strokes gain off the tee too heavy, heavily. This is not a week where you want to be looking at driving accuracy or fairways gained or good drives gained. You don't need to be looking at any of those things. I mean, you can, that's just my opinion, but I will not be. Uh, if there is one off the tee stat that you can look at, I would say it's probably distance. And I get it that short guys have won here, but you can definitely take advantage of this course. A lot of these fairways have speed slots if you can get it out there. So it's definitely not a prerequisite by any means, but it can definitely help you here, I'd say more so than other PGA Tour courses. Uh, a couple other things to note, Kapalua is a it's Bermuda grass course with 8,722 on average square foot Bermuda greens. Again, very common with Cora and Crenshaw. These greens are massive. And they only run about 10 to 10.5 on the stint meter. For tour standards, that's really slow. Um, these greens, most greens in Hawaii for that matter, or tropical areas, are really slow. They're really grainy um, and they're pretty receptive. And this course doesn't really play firm and fast, as I mentioned, which is a huge shame because it was designed to play firm and fast, but the PGA Tour just not like making its players uncomfortable, but the greens are massive and they're slow greens and they're grainy Bermuda greens. Um, so does that mean you need to be a good putter here? In my opinion, I would say no. Um, there are a couple schools of thought with this. I change my mind on this sometimes, but I do think that for the most part, slower greens tend to neutralize bad putting. This is why you see bad putters putt and chip really well on pass pollen. Uh, which is a very slow surface. And putting here from inside 10 feet is easier than tour average. Uh, that's basically because with slower greens, you can typically account for less break. But three putt percentage is higher here than tour average because these greens are so massive. So what I am doing is I'm looking a little bit at putting on slow Bermuda greens. Uh, but this is not really a week where I'm looking a ton at short game and putting last year, actually six of the top 12 guys on the leaderboard lost strokes putting. 
but I don't hate three putt avoidance here because again, these greens are so massive. And in fairness, grain can sometimes be difficult on courses like this when you have massive greens with a lot of slope. That tends to yield a lack of consistency in terms of speed and can make longer putts a lot harder to read. So that's kind of why maybe putting inside 10 feet is easier here, but lag putting is a lot harder here. So I think three putt avoidance and general putting on Bermuda greens, specifically slow Bermuda greens, definitely makes some sense. So I talked about how I don't really care about off the tee. You don't have to be a particularly elite putter here. And short game is basically deemed irrelevant with how giant these putting surfaces are. And even if you're slightly off the putting surface, a lot of the time you can still putt. That leaves us with iron play. And I would say, yeah, I think of the four main categories, iron play is really the thing that you want to hone in on. I know that on courses with giant greens, people don't typically think iron play. You typically think iron play at Harbor Town and Colonial. But the reason why it's often just as important here, just as important here is twofold. First of all, Pretty much everyone is going to hit the fairway here, so it's really going to be the second shot that defines how you play the hole. And again, the thing about Kapalua, uh, it actually traditionally ranks inside the top 10 in most difficult proximity to the hole because you're not just firing at isolated targets on flat pieces of land. Sometimes to get the ball close, you need to use the land to feed the ball into the pin, which is why you see someone creative like Jordan Spieth tends to play well here. There is a bit of a linksy quality to the course here where it's not a links course because it doesn't play firm or fast enough to actually play like a links course, but Core and Crenshaw still do a pretty good job of creating enough undulation with their greens that you do have to think on your second shot. So I really like approach play here. I'm pretty much weighing it just as heavily as I would at a course like Colonia or Harbor town for different reasons, obviously, but you look at how top 10 finishers have fared here. They've all gained a ton of strokes on approach, almost double what they've gained off the tee, almost three times what they've gained around the green. And way more than what they've gained putting to. Last year, four of the top five guys gained over five strokes on approach. So approach play should be the most important stat every week, but I'm still weighing it more heavily here than I would at your average course. What I will say is this course seems long at 7,600 yards, but keep in mind uh, it plays as a par 73 and it has 11 par fours, only three par threes and four par fives. And it features a lot of really long holes and a lot of really short holes, which basically means you're going to have a lot of birdie opportunities. Eight of the par fours here are under 425 yards and the other three are above 520 yards. So there's not one par four on the entire course between 420 and 520 yards. So you're going to have a ton of chances to score here. Add in the fact that at least three of the four par fives are reachable here. The 18th hole measures 677 yards, but it plays significantly downhill. And depending on the wind, you can actually get there in two sometimes. So one thing that I'm really going to be looking at this week is birdies are better gains. 17 of the 18 holes here have over a 10% birdie percentage. That's pretty wild. Um, that's a lot. Over half of the holes have a 20% birdie percentage and four holes have over a 43% birdie percentage. 60% of players birdie the par five, six hole. So 
I really think that you want to focus on players that make a lot of birdies. Last year, 14 of the top 15 players were positive in birdies gained. Uh, it's not going to be a lot of pars this week. There's definitely going to be some bogeys because there are a few difficult holes, but there's going to be a lot of birdies too. And this kind of goes hand in hand with that. But the par fives here have been really important. Um, top 10 finishers have gained far more strokes on the par fives here than they have on the par threes and the par fours. So you can really do some damage on these par fives. So birdies are better gains, par five scoring, birdie percentage on par five. I think that's the type of stuff that you want to be looking at here. I'll close with this and then we can get into some of my early leans. This course has the largest amount of elevation changes on the entire PGA tour. It has the largest fairways on the entire PGA tour, some of the biggest greens on the entire PGA tour. And it's very dependent on the winds with how this course is going to play. Like two years ago, we got a lot of winds and JT only won at 14 under par. Last year, not very much wins, and Harris English won at 25 under par. I think win stats in general are really flawed. I would say that over a large sample size, you might be able to draw some conclusions from them, but I'm never going to weigh strokes gained in windy conditions more than like 5 maybe 10%, because there's just too many variables that juke the stats with that. But... It may help you identify some players that consistently keep popping up at windier events. There are certain players that have uh, ball flights that are maybe a little better suited for the wind. Certain players are better at controlling their trajectory than others. And it's too early right now to really tell how windy it's going to be. But I would really keep an eye on that as the week goes on, because at the end of the day, that's really the course's only defense. Now, this is a field of nearly all elite players, so most of the players in the field, it's probably not going to change your opinion on them too much if it's windy or not that windy. Guys like Rom, Xander, JT, Cantlay, Morikawa, etc., they're fine. Like I like them just as much in completely calm conditions as I do in more windy conditions. There are just too many examples at this point of elite players playing well in both. I think where it may come into play is farther down the board. Uh, like, for example, I really like Mark Leishman in windier conditions because of his trajectory. But someone like Jordan Spieth, for example, where you would think that he's better in the winds and in tougher conditions, but he won this tournament at 30 under in completely calm conditions. So I don't really think it matters that much at the top of the board, or at least as much as you would think. But I would definitely keep an eye on the weather as the week goes on because this could be a 30 under par week, or it could be a 16 under par week. That's obviously a pretty big difference, but I think in all likelihood, um, most of the time we'll say the wind is a moderate factor at Kapalua and the winning score still falls somewhere in between 20 and 25 under par. Um, so to summarize the things that I'm looking at, iron play, slow Bermuda putting and three putt avoidance, par five scoring, birdies are better gains, and a little bit of course history. I think it helps if you've played here a couple of times. And there's also this big Augusta correlation correlation that I've noticed where so many of the guys that play well at the Masters play well here. Some of that, of course, has to do with the fact that it's all the best players in the world in the field, and all the best players tend to play well at the Masters too. But even someone like Zach Johnson, Patrick Reed, Hideki, Spieth, Obviously, Xander's been great at both. 
Uh, DJ has been great at both. And I do think that's because both courses are really big, wide open golf courses where accuracy off the tees and all that important. And there's a lot of undulation and elevation changes, and you're not going to get a flat lie from the fairway. And Spieth has talked about this comparison before, so I promise I'm not pulling it out of my ass, but I do think it makes some sense. Um, but I digress. In conclusion, you mainly want to focus on at Kapalua, iron play, birdie or better percentage, par five scoring, a little bit of lag putting, a um, little bit of slow Bermuda putting, and a little bit of course history. Um, those are kind of the main things that I'm looking at here. And then a very small weight on driving distance and strokes gained in, in moderate to windy conditions just to see if anything jumps out. Okay, so throwing everything together here, here were the top 10 guys for me. Number one, Patrick Cantlay. Number two, John Rahm. Number three, Sam Burns. Number four, Xander Shoffley. Number five, Roy McIlroy. Again, I don't think he's playing. Number six, Colin Morikawa. Number seven, Cameron Smith. Number eight, Seamus Power. Number nine, Bryson. Number 10, Taylor Gooch. Okay, early leans. First early leans of the season. I'm excited. And I'm going to throw you guys a massive curveball because anyone who is a long-time listener or even short-time listener probably knows that I'm not the biggest fan of this guy, but I really think John Rahm is going to win this golf tournament. I feel pretty confident about that. Now, <laughs> am I going to bet him at seven to one? I'm not sure yet. Um, but in, in four appearances here, he's gone second, eighth, 10th, seventh. He's never not finished in the top 10. Um, he rates out really well here as he does almost anywhere, but he's gaining a stroke and a half per rounds on the field here. He makes a lot of birdies if the conditions are calm. He's also the number one win player in this field for what it's worth over a large sample size. If we're nitpicking, he hasn't been particularly great at lag putting or putting on slow Bermuda greens. He tends to thrive more so on faster putting surface, but he's really going to be able to take advantage of this course off the tee. Anytime you're on a course where you get driver in your hands a lot, uh, Rom is going to be a problem. So course fit wise, I really love him for the spot and we haven't really seen him all fall. Uh, last we saw him was at the Ryder cup where he was quite good. Um, so recent form isn't really much of a factor here with anyone whatsoever with an event like this, you almost have to try and figure out who you think has done a really good job at grinding over the off season and maybe look historically at how players have done coming off breaks and Rom has been really good coming off prolonged absences. He's played really well at this tournament. Um, he's been really good in the month of January in his career in general. He's won at the Amex. He's won at Torrey Pines. So I absolutely love John Rom in this spot. I I do think that, I mean, I thought that Colin Morikawa was the best player last year. I thought the degree of difficulty on what Colin did was more impressive to me. But I do think that there was a very good case for John Rom to be player of the year. They're 1A and 1B for me. And I don't fault anyone for arguing for John Rom as the best player uh, of the year last year. Strokes gain would certainly say so. And I do think that, you know, there's a little bit of a slight there. And he's going to come out motivated and ready to go. And the question that I really need to ask myself is, 
do I want to go single bolt with him? Because he's going to be the tournament favorite. I'm, I'm just, I mean, DraftKings is the only place I've seen with odds and he's seven to one. And if I'm betting him, I'm not really sure um, if I have the room to really do anything else responsibly with the type of risk and return that I like to structure with. Um, but I have a very strong lean that Rom wins this tournament. I may be priced out of it. I think looking at his stats last year, he should have won more. And I think that's going to translate into 22, into 2022. So I love John Rom in this spot. If I can find like a 10 to one or a 12 to one, that might be wishful thinking, but I think I'd probably take it. Now, the scenario where I don't bet Rom. Um, is basically because there's some guys in the 30 range that I really like. Like I, I really, I'm seeing Patrick Reed at 30 to one. I'm not generally a big Patrick Reed guy, but I really like Reed in this spot. I, I think that's way too high of a number for him here. I think it's skewed because of how bad he was in the fall, but I think there's a lot to like about Reed here. Um, in seven appearances here, he's got a win in 2015. He's got runner-ups in 2016 and 2020. Um, a six in 2017. Obviously, we know he's been great at Augusta too, and he's not going to rate out that well in uh, any model. Uh, he's actually, but he's one of the worst off the tee players in this field, um, and he hasn't been making a ton of buddies either. But with all that being said. He's been an excellent putter on slow Bermuda greens. He's one of the best lag putters in the game, and he's been awesome on this course, and the number is really good. And sometimes on narrower courses, like I mentioned, he's not great off the tee. Like His driver can get pretty shaky, and I think you have some leeway here. And, you know, he played a lot this fall, and it wasn't very good. Um, But again, like I mentioned with Rom, he's been very good historically coming off long layoffs and at the beginning of the season actually five of Patrick Reed's nine wins have come in January February and March so he tends to get off to a hot start and I wasn't really looking too heavily at him because the ball striking has just been so objectively poor Um, but I think there's enough time off and and it's a good course that he's experienced a lot of success on and I just like the number with Patrick Reed this week. So, you know, if I don't bet Rom, I'm probably going to do something like Reed uh, Leishman, who I'll talk about right now. I really like Leishman here. Um, already seeing a little buzz on Leishman. I think it's for good reason. Um, he has a seventh and a fourth here in four appearances. He doesn't pop out to me with anything crazy statistically. Um, he's an above average Bermuda putter and lag putter. He can at times be really dreadful off the tee. But what I like is that now he's traveling to a course with the widest fairways on tour. So I think at 35 to one, a guy who's a proven winner on tour, who is capable of catching an extremely hot putter, traveling to a course where his biggest weakness is mitigated, you could certainly do a lot worse. And he had a pretty solid fall, fourth at the Fortinet, third at the Shriners. Um, 38th CJ Cup, 19th Houston Open. Now, two of the, those two top fives, he gained a combined 14.6 strokes putting. Uh, obviously, that regressed in his final two starts, but even so, he still hit the ball really well at the Houston Open. And at a macro level, it seems like Leishman's ball striking has been really trending in the right direction as the season went on. So I do think that his game is really coming around. I think if I 
Doan ends up getting there uh, from an outright perspective, I think there's a really good spot to use him in DraftKings. Um, so I really like Leishman. And, you know, that's kind of it for me, honestly. I mean, I, I think it's either going to be Rom uh, or some combination of Reed, Leishman, and, you know, the other guys I was looking at, I really like Xander here. I <laughs> I like Rom more, but I still really like Xander here. And would I rather bet a single bullet on Rom or some combination of like Xander and Reed or Xander and Leishman or all three of them if maybe we can get Xander closer to 20? I think it's a great course for him. He rates out really well here. He's averaging almost two strokes on the field per round here, which is second only to Jordan Spieth. I know that he is uh, more known as a bent grass guy, but he's been really good on slow Bermuda greens, really good lag putter. He's actually struggled a little bit off the tee towards the end of last season. And now he goes to, I think it's a good like get right spot for him. He now goes to a course with really forgiving fairways where the second shot is way more important. And coming off last season, he was hitting his driver so much better than, or he was hitting his iron so much better than he was his driver. Um, so, you know, I, I love Xander here. I, I, I think the three guys that I would put in that next tier, um, right behind Rom that I would consider betting would be Xander, Bryson and JT. Um, and I, I mean, Bryson, you know, in theory, this is a fantastic course for Bryson. He's the longest player in the field. And now he goes to a golf course that has the widest fairways on tour. So he can pretty much bomb away with driver here carefree. Although I will say this, there's a school of thought um, that Bryson actually has a much greater advantage on courses with narrow fairways and thick rough than courses where everyone is going to be hitting the fairways and the emphasis falls on the second shot. And I tend to agree with that, but you still have to like the idea of him going to a course where he can just absolutely unleash off the tee. Um, that has to count for something. Irons aren't typically the strength of his game. He ranks 26 out of 40 in approach. So his prowess off the tee isn't really going to matter unless he can get his approaches close. And he's actually struggled a little bit with lag putting and on slow Bermuda greens, but he's a number one par five player in this field. Um, there are a couple holes that he's going to be able to drive a couple par fives where he's going to maybe have a wedge in. And, you know, I'll say this as a concern, why I kind of rank, I I'd probably lean Xander a little bit over Bryson here, but um, my friend Nagels brought up this about Bryson on Hilly Courses on our majors podcast, that he is a theory that you want to play Bryson on flat courses, because when you put a lot of slope into play, that can be a bit of a processing error for Bryson. And Kapalua does feature the most elevation changes out of any course on the PGA Tour schedule. So that might be something that you want to keep in the back of your head. Um, he didn't play any official event during the fall swing. He looked pretty terrible at the match, uh, which means nothing to me. And he contended for a bit at the hero. I think the thing you have to feel good about Bryson is that you can probably trust that he was working his ass off this off season. And towards the end of last year, he was so dominant off the tee. So I really like Bryson here. I, I you know, I think it's kind of number dependent with, Bryson, Xander, and and JT, if I tend to go that route, I hope that 
maybe one of those guys will will drift to the twenties, um, and I can pair them with with Leishman and Reed. But that's kind of that's kind of how I feel. I like for what it's worth. I, I don't think I'm going to bet him out right here. I think Cam Smith is a really good DraftKings play. Um, his odds on DraftKings right now are fourteen to one, which is crazy to me, but. I think he rated out really well for me. Like Cam Smith popped up a lot here. There's a lot to like about Cam Smith on this course, actually. Um, One of his struggles is that he's not always the most accurate driver of the ball, but now he travels to a course with the widest fairways on tour where he can really focus on his iron game, which has been steadily improving and trending towards elite, actually. And no one in this field makes more birdies than Cam Smith. He's an excellent putter anywhere, but specifically an excellent lag putter and really good on slow Bermuda greens. Also fourth in this field in par five scoring. Um, So the only thing with Cam Smith that I don't love is the number. Hopefully we get a more fair DraftKings price on Cam Smith, but I think that will do it, everyone. Um, This is, to sum up, I think it's either going to be a single bullet on, on ROM. And to be honest, I may get, priced out of ROM here, but if it's not ROM, then it's going to be some combination of either Xander, JT, or Bryson, BB Cam Smith, and Leishman and or Reed, I think is what I'm leaning. So that's it. That'll do it. Thanks to everyone for coming back. I'd really love to grow this show in the new year. Um, I haven't done a ton of marketing yet with this show and you know that's going to change i'm gonna try and do a better job of that obviously by the time you guys are listening to this the announcement of that i'm gonna be doing a twice weekly show with rick gaiman has already come out and i'm super excited for that if you guys listen to this show and listen to any of my shows i would really encourage you to check that out Um, I'm so excited for that. Me and Rick have been talking about this and wanting to do something like this for a really long time. And we were finally kind of able to conceptualize it and make it work. So if you're a fan of the show, please be sure to check out me and Rick on the scramble. I love that name. I think it's a great name. I'm surprised it wasn't used yet. Um, But that's every Tuesday. It's a live show. Every two, there'll probably be some listener interaction, and that's every Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, and every Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific and 12 p.m. Eastern. That will do it for me. Um, I hope everyone had a great holidays. I hope everyone enjoyed their New Year's. I hope everyone was safe uh, and continues to be safe. And I will be back. Uh, in a bunch of places. I'll be back with Rick on Tuesday morning and, and my podcast, uh, with a guest. If I can get a hold of Feinberg, he's, I, I don't know what's going on with Feinberg right now. He's on a yacht somewhere, uh, but probably going to be me and Feinberg opening up the season. Um, may have to call an audible. Um, if, if, uh, if we can't get in touch with Jeff, uh, but that'll do it for me again. And I will, I will see you guys on Tuesday morning.